Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Hi everyone, this is Norma. And this is Priscilla. And you're listening to... It's It's the the mystery mystery for me. It's the mystery for me. We had to take a short little break there for the holidays in February. I thought I had something going on for Valentine's Day. Turns out it's back to the streets for me. But (laughs) what do you mean? Who were you supposed to see? What do you mean, Norma? I'm always seeing somebody. And last week was President's Week, but we are back at it again with the back at it again. President's Week? President's Day, I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, we're back. I am hosting this week's episode, but Norma will be hosting next week's episode. So Mm -hmm. I know y'all are looking forward to that. Before we jump into today's episode, Norma, I feel like you should tell the story about how you were robbed in your dorm room all those years ago. Why? (laughs) Because it's kind of true crime-ish. Okay, um, so it was Halloween night what year? of 2011, and I did not want to go out. I'm pretty sure it was snowing, and then I was like, oh, hell no, I'm really not going out. I had a roommate in my room, then there were two other rooms, and then it's connected by, like, a common area. And where did you go to school? I went to school at SUNY Albany. Okay. In New York, y'all, if you're not from here. Um, And then I just ended up falling asleep watching Halloween, the movie. How fitting. (laughs) They all went out, had a great time, came back. Um, I slept through the entire thing. I didn't hear anyone come back. In the morning, when I woke up to finish my paper, I couldn't find my laptop. I'm thinking, hmm, maybe I kicked it off the desk or something because my desk was pressed against my bed. Right. And I'm tall, okay? I have long legs. So I'm looking underneath my bed. It's not there. I'm asking my roommate. I'm asking the common area of roommates too. No one knows where my laptop is. Then my roommate notices that she's missing money. I'm like, wait a second. Ain't no way that someone broke in. And um, it turned out that someone did break in. As to who that person is, I have no idea. But my laptop was gone, and so was my iPod. I ended up having to go to the library to finish my paper. Thankfully, I had a hard drive. So did you have to start from scratch? You had it saved on your hard drive is what you're saying? I had part of it saved on the the hard drive. Um, But the other half I didn't save because I was just working on it in real time. Did you call the campus police when you realized that these things were missing? I actually did. 
Oh. Oh, I completely forgot about this. Okay. Um, I did, and there was not really anything they could do for me. And they made me seem like I was the issue when I was a victim. They were saying, well, you should have had your door locked, and you should have taken more precaution. It shouldn't just have been out on your desk for anyone to grab. I mean... I valid can't, point, I mean, but valid, <laughs> valid point, but still, I was so upset. Yeah, I was crying. I, I mean, have, you should have totally locked your door, though. I kind of agree with that. But at the same time, why are humans programmed to take advantage of people? Right? Like, I wish we lived in a world where it didn't matter if your door was locked or not, because no right. one was going to come in. Yeah, um, I wasn't aware that the door was not locked. I had fallen asleep right after they had left to go out to this party because back then people would pregame. You leave at around 10 o'clock, 1030 to go out. Um, so I didn't check the door. I just assumed that it was locked. Um, it was not. So apparently someone had broken in between the time of my friends leaving the dorm, me falling asleep to watching Halloween, the movie. They came in. And they left with my things. And you knew it was during that time because you saw your laptop before you had fallen asleep. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. I was very upset. I went to library trying to finish my paper. Um, ended up going back to my dorm. Met a friend in the elevator. Was basically telling him what happened. I was very upset. He was asking me how my day was going. And I said, horrible. <laughs> and I told him why. And... When I had gotten, oh, that was actually on my way to the library. Okay. That I saw this friend and I was telling him, I have to go to the library to type this damn paper. When I came back to my dorm, my laptop and my iPod were outside my, my dorm room door. Now that's crazy. So I'm not saying that <laughs> he did it. But I'm saying that he likely knew the culprit. Right. And told them, listen, you stole from my friend. You got to put that back. Right. Either way, I was thrilled. I was like, yes, I can finish this paper in the comfort of my dorm on my laptop. And you had more material in your paper that like. Oh, yeah. You know, yes. rather than starting at like 25%, you're starting at like 75%. Yeah. But I think the other important part is the friend you're talking about is a childhood friend. Like, we know this person. We grew up around them. Mm -hmm. Right? So it wasn't like just she met him in the elevator. No, no, no. This is a childhood friend. Oh, yeah. This is a childhood friend. So they had a rapport. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I think think he knew the culprits. I think your thinking is right. But did your roommate ever get her money back? No, she did not. (laughs) (laughs) What is the lesson you want people to take away from that story, Norma? Make sure that your doors are locked, for real, before you fall asleep. I mean, we live in a very disturbing world. You can't help that. Like, sometimes you really do just randomly fall asleep. I don't know, Norma. I lock my door. Really? Yes. Every. Are you serious right now? Do you not lock this door? Yeah, you do. Mom is here. That's why the door is always locked. Because that lady will get up. I lock the door now. I used to not. I check visually. I look at the door. But then when I'm in bed about to go to sleep, I just check on my phone to make sure it really does stay locked. You're lucky also that nothing else happened to you. You Yeah. The fact that this person was in your room and you'd even wake up. Mm -hmm. Like, that's so scary. 
so scary. And like, what if I had woken up? Right. I'm glad I didn't. Right. Maybe you're supposed to be knocked out like that. Mm-hmm. I was really tired. I think I was writing that damn paper all week. Yeah. Well, we're done with Norma's story, and now we're going to proceed to this week's story, which revolves around Shania Davis. For this week's episode, I watched two YouTube videos. One was by Truth For Reality, and that was published two years ago. Oh, shit. And one by Anna Uncovered, which was published two months ago. I did look at documents for this case, but they were mostly just court documents. For a full list of today's sources, please visit our website. It's themysteryforme.com or click the link in today's show notes. Was there an episode that you watched, like a show? No. Oh. Yeah, I don't think a show has actually covered this case. Okay, this is Which is kind of shocking because of the notoriety I think around it. I Mm. mean, this case was on Oprah, but I got as much information as I could and pieced it together so that I could tell you guys the story today. Just as an FYI, today's case involves violence against children. And as always, listener's discretion is advised. This case takes us back to 2009 in Fayetteville, North Carolina. This is the Shania Davis case. Shania Nicole Davis was born on June 14, 2004, to Bradley Lockhart and Antoinette Davis. For context, Bradley is white and Antoinette is black. Shania had a few half-siblings, some from her dad and some from her mom. In particular, her brother Carl, who was two years older than Shania and was her mother's son, was central to the story. Shania had a vibrant personality. She had a lot of friends. She loved to play dress-up but she also loved to play basketball and ride a scooter. Someone named Mia commented on the YouTube video by Truth For Reality and said, Shania was actually my friend while I was attending that school, meaning the elementary school. I was new and she walked me to class, which was near hers. She was so loving and open-hearted. So if you're wondering about the school she's talking about, in 2009, Shania was five years old and that fall she started kindergarten. Shania was raised mostly by her dad and had a great life at home. Her dad was now in a new relationship and apparently married, but I couldn't really confirm that from a lot of the sources I saw, but this is what was said in the Truth For Reality video. That being said, her dad didn't have the best of luck with relationships. In 1998, his wife, Vicky Sue, who was also black, she was 29 years old, she was murdered in a robbery while visiting her family. Her sister, Chanel, who was 19 at the time, was also killed. Bradley and Vicky Sue had been married for around seven years at that point. They had three kids together, but after the murder, the kids were raised by Vicky Sue's parents. Now you might be wondering about Bradley's relationship with Antoinette, Shania's mother. Well, she was not in the picture much at this point in time, especially when it came to raising Shania because she was dealing with issues like drug addiction and homelessness. Bradley had a brief relationship with her. Some sources say it lasted a few months. Others say that it was a one night stand. They had met at a party. He found out she was pregnant slash the kid was his a few days after Shania was born. Shania lived with Antoinette and her family for the first year or so of her life and then moved in with her dad, Bradley, who had bought a big house in the area. In 2009, it seemed like Antoinette had turned over a new leaf. She was not on drugs and now had a home. She lived with her sister, Brenda, and her sister's boyfriend, Jeroy. They had kids too. And it was only a two-bedroom trailer, but it was something. Understanding the importance of Shania having a bond with her mother, Bradley allowed her to spend time with Antoinette and eventually agreed to allow her to live with Antoinette full-time. 
This happened in September of 2009. Bradley says he talked to Shania four to five times a week via phone. And for the year or so that Shania lived with her mom in the beginning, Bradley always picked her up on the weekend. So he was very involved in that sense. So what was it that made Bradley just hand over Shania? Well, Antoinette had asked Bradley for a chance to be a mother and mm. he felt that he owed that to her. And so he allowed Shania to move in with Antoinette and Brenda and Jeroy and their kids and her brother Carl in September of 2009. Sometime in the fall, police conducted a drug raid on the trailer. Typically, children will not be allowed in the home afterwards as it would be deemed to be not safe for kids, mm -hmm. but protocol was not followed in this instance. It was supposed to be reported to social workers, but it never was. On November 10th of 2009, a 911 call comes in from Antoinette at 6.52 in the morning. Shania had spent the night but was nowhere to be found, and Antoinette was panicking. Here's a little bit of the 911 call. Norma's gonna read as the 911 operator, and I'll read as Antoinette. I woke up this morning and my daughter was not in the house. I don't know if she walked out, or I don't know what's going on, but she's not here. How old is your daughter? She's five. Five? Yes, ma'am. Okay, what time did you wake up? When did you last see her? I saw her at 5.30 last night. 5.30 last night. Is that when you put her to bed? Yes, ma'am. Uh, no. When she went back to bed. Okay. That was five this morning. Is that what you're telling me? Yes, ma'am. Um, were there any doors open or anything like that? She knows how to unlock the front door. I hope she didn't unlock it and walk out. Antoinette goes on to give Shania's name to the 911 operator and describes her as biracial. She also says that Shania is wearing a very large blue t-shirt with designs on the front and underwear that's white with pink designs, but she has no pants and no shoes. Antoinette says that she has searched everywhere in her community, meaning the trailer park community, but she just can't find her. And so the police come to her house within 10 minutes and an Amber Alert is immediately issued. Before the police get there, Brenda notices that there are feces on the railing of the trailer. Brenda is her sister, Antoinette's sister. Brenda talks to Carl, who is Shania's brother. He's two years older. And he says that he is sure he saw a man in the trailer a few hours prior and that he believes is someone who they call Mono. Government name, Mario McNeil. This information is not immediately communicated to the police. Police go to the home and they notice the feces on the railing has been almost removed. It turns out that there was hot water poured on it. There's a blanket in the trash and it also has feces on it. They ask the family questions, but they aren't really getting straight answers. Carl is looking at his mom and his aunt before he answers a question, basically looking for their approval. Apparently, at that point in time, Antoinette and her sister were literally sitting there texting people in general and not paying attention to the cops during the interrogation, which of course the cops found a little bit suspicious. Brenda is texting Mono, AKA Mario, asking if he was at her place the night before, and he said no. He basically tried to be like, why? You trying to see me? What's up? And she was not having any of it. She does not mention this conversation to police or mention Mono at all because she didn't want to seem presumptuous, but your niece is missing. Shania's dad, Bradley, and her aunt, who's his sister, Carrie, they go on the news and they plead for people to return her. Her dad is crying and says, Shania, if you're listening to daddy, I miss you so much. I'm waiting for you. I'm not gonna give up and you don't give up either, honey. 
the Amber Alert pays off, sort of. I do have a question. Um, how long after he allowed Shania to live with her mom did this happen? Within two months, because she moved in right around the time school started in September, and this was November. A woman who works at a hotel about one hour away from Fayetteville is checking in a man. He's making conversation, and he mentions that He's a dad and he's getting ready to drop off his daughter who's sleeping in the car at her mom's house in Virginia. This conversation happened at around six in the morning. This man goes outside and grabs a child from the car and brings her into the hotel and heads up to his room. This woman has seen an Amber Alert and the Amber Alert is for Shania and she thinks to herself, wait a minute, this little girl looks a little bit like Shania, but her shift is ending. And so instead of calling authorities, she tells her colleague to keep an eye out for the man because the girl looks like someone she saw in an Amber Alert. The man then leaves the hotel at around 7.30 a.m.-ish, which is kind of odd because he just checked in. An employee saw this man carrying a little girl to the parking lot around that time, and she appeared to be asleep. The employee followed him because he got a weird feeling himself. He had said hi to this person and they just did not say anything. They just stared at him. He saw the person put this little girl in the back of a car and then go to the front of the hotel to ask for his security deposit back. Now this is a new person on the shift, right? And she's been warned like, hey, watch out for this guy, okay? But she gives him the security deposit back. And even the employee who saw him outside and had followed him, he got off at 3 p.m. and neither of them, not one person, called the police. Like, at this point, it's not about the job. It's a morality thing. And you can't just, like, turn that off. Right. So when are the cops tipped off? Well, the hotel employees see the Amber Alert again the next day on November 11th, right in the morning. And that's when they call the police. Police go to the hotel and they look at the footage. And lo and behold, in the footage, they see Shania. Really? Yes. And she's being held almost like... Like, not held like, you know, when you hold kids on your hip. It's not Mm -hmm. like that. It's almost like she's being held out in front of them, right? Like, her hand might be around your neck or something, like, holding on to you. But, like, you're carrying someone into a room, okay? Mm -hmm. And police are frantic at this point. They can't believe that they've caught this on camera. And even though it's 24 hours later, they see him carrying her out of the back of the hotel, and they are hopeful, They are very hopeful about the end result. Because you need ID to check into the hotel, and he happened to present his real one, police knew who to look for. It was Mario McNeil. Who is Mario McNeil, you ask? Well, Mario was around 29 in 2009, and he used to date Antoinette's sister, Brenda. In the YouTube video by Anna Uncovered, it said that Mario gave Brenda the deposit for the trailer that they lived in. The one that she lives in with her new boyfriend and her kids and Antoinette and Antoinette's kids. Ooh, okay. However, however, it does not say when she moved into the trailer. So, like, he could have given her the deposit three years ago. You know right. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we really don't know. On November 11, 2009, police request cell phone records and they come back quick because it's considered exigent circumstances. So they don't have to wait like a month or two. They are specifically looking at Antoinette and Brenda's phone, which leads them to requesting Mario's records too, because they notice that both women have texted Mario during that time frame that Shania had gone missing. This is around the time when Brenda admits to police officers that her nephew Carl, Shania's brother, had seen Mario on November 9th 
in their trailer and that they had seen him actually after Shania went missing too at their aunt's house. It looks like they were all gathered there just like freaking out and just like talking like, what are we going to do? And he showed up there and Antoinette looked at him and said, I don't got shit to say to you. I just want to know where my motherfucking baby's at. And he just Mm. got in the car and took off. So this would have happened November 11th or 12th. So I think when she also says that, the sister realizes like, wait, like I should tell the cops because she's asking him where Shania is at. So that's also a driving force Mm -hmm. behind her reaching out to the cops and telling them like the other information. But again, the cops are already like kind of putting this together because they're looking at cell phone records and they looked at the surveillance video and stuff like that. So they're already they already know who to go after. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure to them, they're really frustrated at the fact that the sister could have told them 24 hours ago. Yeah. Antoinette could have told them 24 hours ago. Wait, Antoinette? Antoinette. That's the sister? Isn't Brenda the sister? I'm saying Antoinette. If she's asking him where her baby's at, she believes he took her baby. Yeah. So the thing is, they could have just told police right off the bat so police could put out, you know, an alert for people to be like on the lookout for a certain license plate, etc. Yeah, to be on the lookout for him yes, specifically. exactly. Brenda also gave the police her phone for them to see the text messages, which they seem to already have access to at that point, right? And so they saw the back and forth that was happening, like... Hey, like, did you come to my house this morning? And nah, like, why? You want me to come? You know, so they saw that. And like the timestamp of those messages, like, like I said earlier, it's happening when she's sitting in the police station on November 10th. On November 12th, 2009, Mario is finally apprehended by police. When Mario is interrogated, he says that he's innocent and that he dropped Shania off to somebody else that had been texting him and stuff. But police already had the phone records. And so they said, the only people that were texting you at that time It was Brenda and it was Antoinette. So what are you saying? Like, who'd you drop her off to? And so they caught him kind of in a lie. Mm. The police keep pressing him and they're not really getting anything from him. So next, when they leave the room, they go and talk to Antoinette. But when they leave the room, Mario tries to commit suicide. What does he do? He does the sign of the cross. He takes out a key and he sticks it in the electrical hole. And when that doesn't work, he takes off his shoes too to try and really get the shock. But it doesn't kill him. It barely does anything. Like they're just like, okay, what what are you doing? You know what I mean? So they knew something deeper is going on here. You're saying you're innocent, but like if you're innocent, why are you sticking a key in in an electrical socket? Like what kind of... Right. So they talk to Antoinette next. And while on the surface, it looks like she is stable and things are going great. Turns out that she's still battling her drug addiction. Because of her drug use, she ends up racking up a debt of $200. And who is this debt to? to none other than Mario. On November 9th, 2009, so this would be the day before Shania disappears. Mario is high off of drugs, coke, all this stuff. And he's calling different women to see who wants to link. Mind you, Mario at the time is living with his baby mama, April, and their 18 month old child. But he's still trying to see who's trying to link. He hits up different women, and they just don't answer. One answer is that he shows up and she's still sleeping. Like she falls asleep by accident. And he's like, well, good night to you too. He heads over to Brenda and Antoinette's place and he's looking for Brenda, but she's asleep. And the other side of it is she got a man sleeping next to her. So why are right. you checking for her? Like mm-hmm. that don't make no damn sense. So when he can't get in contact with Brenda, he's talking to Antoinette and he's like, well, you owe me money. And she's like, well, I don't have it. And Mario basically tells her pay up 
or have sex with me. Antoinette does neither of those things, but instead she hands over Shania to Mario. What? Right. I know. If you're scratching your head at this point, you're, yeah. Just, just stay, stay with me here. Stay with me. What happened? She is confessing to this or is this a story that Mario? No, this is her talking to police. Oh, what? Why would she do that? Antoinette admits to the police after being pressed by them that Shania was never kidnapped and that she traded her for the debt owed to Mario. Police believes that the feces that they saw on the railing and in the like blanket that was in the trash proves that Shania was being sexually abused while she was still in the home that day. Antoinette adds this, and you're literally gonna be like, I, I can't, and these are quotes. He was only supposed to have sex with her. He was only supposed to have what? sex with your five-year-old daughter? This is so disturbing. Um, okay, yeah. I was not expecting this at all. Mm-hmm. Antoinette is arrested and charged with many things, including human trafficking, kidnapping, second-degree murder, etc. Meanwhile, police still have not found Shania. Mario is then confronted with Antoinette's story. He does not admit to anything at all, but eventually he gets a lawyer, and the lawyer is the one that talks to the police about the possible locations of Shania's body, meaning where is she right now? And so the police go ahead and search particular areas. They're also paying attention to like the cell phone pings that were going on when they're, you know, looking at Mario's records and stuff. And they see that in one area in particular, Interstate like 87, that he stayed there for quite some time. And so they go there and lo and behold, on November 16th, 2009, just about a week after she had been kidnapped or handed over for debt, Shania's body was found dumped on the side of the road. She was not even buried. She was dead. What? Yeah. But she wow, was dead. I'm so shocked. Murdered. By these details. Right. Her body was found literally on top of deer carcasses. Just the remains of deers that had died, had been killed. Mario is arrested on November 19th and charged with first degree rape and murder. More charges were eventually tacked onto this. I found the autopsy report online and it says that Shania had a bruise on her face, on her cheek in particular. And there was evidence of sexual abuse. She had abrasions around her vagina and blood was present in her underwear. Just disgusting. The report also says something pretty interesting. It says that her hymen was not intact, but there was no evidence of recent injury to her hymen, which likely means that her mom had been pimping her out before this. Oh my gosh. Yes. And it could have started way before she even lived with her, right? Like maybe during visitations or something like that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, her cause of death was her being smothered. So basically asphyxiation. Now, the police never get actual details from Mario himself on like what exactly happened. But that is what her autopsy shows. Like there were certain things in her lungs that medical professionals would equate to someone who had been smothered or something like that just to give more details around the phone records as it pertains to mario it showed his phone around the hotel from like 6 a.m to around 7 30 a.m ish but then it showed his phone in the area where shania's body was later found at around 8 30 a.m that morning by 9 30 a.m that morning his phone was shown as being in his own neighborhood so police think that 
Shania was likely killed after she left the hotel. Okay. I was wondering if she was alive when he was carrying her. Right. So when he first entered the hotel with her, she's awake on video. She's awake. She's turning her head. She's, you know, she's awake. When he's leaving with her, she was not awake. Mm -hmm. So there's a possibility that he might have killed her in the hotel. But the thing is, these employees saw him carrying her up. There was an hour and a half that passed before he left the hotel. Mm -hmm. They could have called the cops. You didn't call the cops because your shift was changing. That just is insane to me. Mm -hmm. This case made national headlines and the dad was featured on an Oprah episode, though I couldn't find the Oprah episode online. And Shaquille O'Neal actually paid for Shania's funeral. So this really did have a lot of coverage. Yes, it did. I'm so shocked that they never made a show around it. Right, right. An episode around it. So now let's talk about what happens after the arrest. So a few different people in Bradley's life have admitted that they saw Shania had cigarette burns all over her body. And somehow she was still allowed to go to her mom's house. They were told that she was walking into cigarettes. But I mean, you're the adult here, right? And so like, can you walk into a cigarette multiple times? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it just don't make sense. Right. Byron Coleman, who is Bradley's ex-father-in-law, said Shania had burns all the time, all over her body, and he offered to take Shania in. He just couldn't understand why Bradley kept sending her there and would allow her to live there if mm-hmm. if every time Shania would come back from visits, something would be wrong. Right. So the ex-father-in-law is like, I mean, I'll raise her. Like, what's the issue here? The fact that there's another adult that's willing to step up that's unrelated to Shania. Right. I don't know. It just speaks very loud to me. Right. That there was clearly an issue. He noticed it. Right. So I'm just wondering why Bradley was just so nonchalant about it. Right. One of Bradley's friends blames Bradley because they said there were so many signs and that he ignored it. Hmm. Shania was in kindergarten at the time. And so she would have been around teachers who might have seen these things on her. Or mandatory reporters. And there was no report on it. Listen, they they did a very thorough report on this case um, in the last, like, I would say in like 2017. And so it was said that teachers did have concerns. I honestly thought that you were going to say that maybe her burns were on her arm. They didn't see it because she was wearing long sleeves. I mean, it could be that too, but... You know, but if there's other things that are concerning, it could also be like behavioral issues. Right. Too. It can manifest in different ways. Right. So the fact that they conducted, you know, this very thorough investigation later on in 2017-ish and teachers did have concerns and didn't bring those forward, it's very concerning. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. why aren't you reporting this? Antoinette did not go to trial. Instead, she took a plea deal. She did an Alfred plea, though, which is basically like, I'm not guilty, but y'all got enough to convict me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just set this one out. And this is what she says at her sentencing hearing. I did the best I could with my children. I never said I was a perfect mother, but I was a good mother. And the judge says, 
You have the time, opportunity, and means to save Shania's life. You are not a good mother. And then he sentences her. According to an article in Fayetteville Observer by Paul Wolverton, Antoinette is sentenced to 17 and a half years in prison. The maximum was 21 years and nine months. Which means what? She will be released one day. And right now, this article says that her release date is sometime in May of 2027. She should have gotten the maximum. Right. Here's another interesting point in the story. That's still not enough. Sorry. Right. No, no, it wouldn't be enough. Honestly, because she was such a contributing factor to her child's death, mm-hmm. I just, I'm surprised she didn't get more time. Maybe they couldn't find anything to charge her with because people didn't report it. Okay, like that is the big problem here. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were allowing this to happen. Yeah. In one way or another, by turning a blind eye, by whatever, but. So they could get her on like the current crime, but like not necessarily like past things because. Right. How are they able to link it? Sure, exactly. Yeah. Here's the thing though Antoinette during this time period was pregnant. Yeah. She ends up giving birth while in prison and the child went into foster care. There isn't much information on the child. So how's it going for Antoinette in prison? Well, someone by the name of Nikki commented on the YouTube video by Truth For Reality and says, my cousin was locked up with her. Everyone knew who she was and what she did. Yet she walked around like it was nobody's business. Eventually, after seeing nobody was putting hands on her, my cousin decided to do it herself. She knew exactly what the consequences would be if she did, but she didn't care. She started a fight with her and Antoinette ended up having to see the nurse afterwards. She was then taken out of general population and my cousin didn't get in trouble at all because the guards thought she deserved much more than a few knots on her head. I mean, I don't condone violence, but at the same time... Bravo. I think in this situation, I can understand why it would be warranted. Right, right. There's a lot of emotions there. Mm -hmm. You know, um, this was just her cousin's way of letting out that emotion. It just seems to me with Antoinette, it doesn't seem like you could have like an actual conversation with her and rationalize with her. She clearly has deeper issues, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's hard to navigate. I'm not saying beat her beat her up or anything like that um because honestly you could do that and she still might not even understand what's going on you feel me so like you put in all that work and she just goes about her day because she doesn't even know like she doesn't you know she's not paying attention to that Mm -hmm. she's just like oh i guess i got hit if you're wondering about mario the prosecutors did end up seeking the death penalty during his trial and he was convicted and got the death penalty he's still on death row right now But, you know, they take a while on death row to actually execute people. Like, people have been on death row for 10, 20 years and stuff just just waiting. And you never know when your day is going to come. That is also, like, the the wild part. Like, you don't know when it's going to happen. But the YouTube video from Truth For Reality, the ending was just, like, chef's kiss. Because he said, you know, when it's time for him to be executed, he's going to be strapped down to a bed. And he's going to want to fight but he won't be able to, right? So he's going to feel exactly what Shania felt. Yeah. Wow, in her last really moments. Insane. Yeah. Talk about karma. Right. And it also turned out that they found child pornography on his phone. He was already like involved in some problematic stuff. Yeah, problematic stuff. And you said he's 29 at mm-hmm. the time? Wow. I mean, 
it is what it is. He's a young person. It's unfortunate. Right. I always wonder what motivates someone to just, like, have tendencies towards children and right. child pornography. Right. But I don't know. I'll never forget an Oprah episode where a woman caught her boyfriend and the father of her child abusing their, like, one-month-old baby. Like, sexually abusing oh their one... Gosh. Yes. And she killed him. And she went to prison. Wow. I need to look her up, but she was on Oprah. I'll never forget it. Oh, my goodness. A one-month-old baby? Are you... Yeah, that's twisted. Mm-hmm. That's so twisted. We live in a very strange world, y'all. Mm-hmm. Gotta be careful with your kids. You gotta protect your kids. There were just so many chances to stop this from happening. There were so many people who could have said something mm-hmm. and didn't. Yeah. And maybe those people said, well, I'm not going to say something because someone else is going to say something, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes that does happen where you're like, I'm not going to report it. They're going to report it, I bet. Yeah. But you need to report it. This involves a child. Someone should have stepped up. Antoinette, just shameful all around. Like, you traded your child for a $200 debt. And from, like, the autopsy, it doesn't look like that's the first time you did that either. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, she describes herself as a good mom. Or exactly. Mom. And that's why I think she's not mentally there. She has a lot of issues going on, right? Yeah. Because she still perceives herself as a good mom. To me, the one person that, like, I think gets the most heat from all of this would be her dad right like you could have stepped up and taken her like so many people had voiced their concern to you yeah specifically and said something's not right here like his sister said that everyone around him was saying hey like i don't know i feel like she shouldn't have shania living there i wonder like how he feels about all of this i'm sure he thinks about it and thinks about how it could have been prevented Mm -hmm. A part of me wonders if, you know, when his first wife died, he allowed other people to raise his three kids. So was he just not equipped to raise kids? Do you know what I mean? Like where it's like, I can't handle it. I got to hand it off to somebody else. You know, I'm not sure. But that's the information that's out there. But what I do know is, you know, as a parent, you have to be vigilant. I don't got to be a parent to say that either. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like, People who aren't parents also can add to this conversation and can give you insight sometimes that you might not be able to see as a parent. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And vice versa. You know what I'm saying? We all have something that we can learn from each other. I just think he could have taken other steps and explained to her when she's older that, you know, her mom just wasn't in the mental state to be able to take care of her. Because Shania, again, she's five years old. She's five years old. Like... You can barely communicate to your parents what's going on with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're sending, like, this helpless, innocent child into this home where, you know, this woman is just not mentally there and is putting your child through God knows what. Yeah, I agree. Where was the pediatrician? Was she not going to the doctor? You know what I'm saying? Like, so certain things, I'm just... This just this case is just really, really just frustrating on so many levels because child I, neglect. Child neglect. I child just think way. that it was preventable, and mm-hmm. I think that's why it was hard for me to like hear this one. This this hit very differently for me. Yeah, I'm definitely so shocked about the details. Right. 
how forthcoming her mom was about the details. Sure. They didn't have to really do much of anything to get those facts from her. Yeah. They just really, truly shocking. They just kept applying pressure, and eventually she just said what she said. Mm-hmm. You have to wonder if Mario was also, like, possibly abusing the 18-month-old child that he had with his baby mama, April. You never know. Right, like, yeah. What other That's kids were, was he around, you know? Like, there could be plenty this is insane. Right, mm-hmm. right. So this just has such a domino effect. We don't even know who else was affected by this and to what extent. And just hearing Shania's story is already scary enough, so I can't even imagine, like, other people who might have been in the same situation. Yeah, and I also think the fact that um, Mario went to the hotel, that was a very bold move right. with a child. Right. So to me, that tells me this is not really his first rodeo. Yeah. You're a little bit too comfortable right. being out. Yes. Putting down your real ID and everything. Yeah. Even once she was taken, right? Her aunt, her mom, like, they could have just mentioned to the cops what Carl had told them, right? Like, hey, I saw Mario, a.k.a. Mono, here, like, around the same time Shania went missing, Mm -hmm. right? Like, if they had communicated that, the police could have just, you know, intervened right away and just, like, Shania might still be here. So it just, it's frustrating on so many levels, Um Let's not let Shania's story be in vain. Just be very, you know, vigilant when it comes to your kids and just like other people and other people's kids too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I just think we do have a duty, even if it's not legal, to say something. The worst that you could be told is, okay, we checked and nothing is wrong. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, you're not going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's street code, but that's like different. That's a different conversation. I know for me personally, I'm going to say something if I see it, especially when it comes to a kid. Yeah. And hopefully y'all feel the same way. And that concludes this week's episode of It's a Mystery for Me. We'll see you guys next week for another new episode. Stay safe out there. Bye, guys.